What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Yes, it does, Joe. And hello, everybody. Happy Monday. I am Brian Sullivan, and it is a happy Monday. It's a new month and huge new gains for your money. The market's having their best day of the year. 95% of the S&P 500 or higher travel stocks, they're sold out. Pace of vaccines soaring. And the bond bombshell that rocked last week, all but gone. Let's talk about all this. Wrap it together in a bow. Dom Chu for a closer look at the rally where interest rates matter, the reopen rally matters, the vaccines matter. Everything's higher, Dom. Sully, it's the Taylor Swift market. You've heard us refer to it before, the shake it off type market. Those interest rate worries starting to dissipate just a little bit here as vaccine optimism picks up. As a result, we've got a very, very solid update. You can see that we're off the best levels of the session. We were up well over uh, 600 some points by the time the Dow Industrials hit their highs of the day, but still up 585 right now, 2% gain there. The S&P 500, similar percentage gain, 38.95 the last trade there. So pushing up against that 39 mark. And by the way, the NASDAQ composite outperforming again today, 13,517. Although curiously, at one point, the Dow Industrials were outperforming the NASDAQ early in the session. One other place to keep an eye on is what's happening with Treasury yields. Interest rates, you mentioned them before, Brian. Remember, at the pandemic lows, we were closer to 0.4% on the 10-year U.S. Treasury note. The benchmark yield 1.45% the last trade there. Remember, at these higher levels that we backed away from, just around 1.61%. So, again, interest rates starting to back off. Watch those financials. Watch real estate, defensive names. The S&P 500 dividend yield, by the way, also a key play there. Watch Bitcoin prices up about 10% today, 48,700, according to Coin Metrics. Depending on which platform you use, which exchange, remember, 56,500 thereabouts was the highs that we saw at the record. So we're still down about 14% from those levels here. And then check out these stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. They are leading the way higher. Boeing with a 4.5% gain, adding roughly, we'll call it 70 points to the Dow here. Goldman Sachs, eh, just about 70 points there as well here. 40-point gain overall for the Caterpillar shares and United Health, adding about 30. So again, these four stocks really contributing the bulk of that 600-point gain that we're seeing right now. So Brian, those stocks, the value trade, the reflation trade, all coming back. I'll send things back over to you. Yeah, and you, you, you've got cases down. You've got vaccinations up. There's a lot of optimism out there. I guess we'd call these to continue the Taylor Swift references, Dom, champagne problems. And on top of that, and it's not a political statement, you got the possibility of $1.9 trillion being thrown into the economy over the next few years to you know, what, reopen or whatever you want to call it. But the, the market is basically saying we are headed toward reopening. It's a huge disconnect, but the market loves the idea of maybe another two trillion rolling in over the next five years. It wasn't that long ago that we were talking about Republicans in Congress saying, no, we want it closer to seven, eight hundred billion dollars 
not $1.9 trillion. And now at this stage, you've given up minimum wage at $15 at the federal level, but you've got that $1.9 trillion amount, that targeted amount going out there for everybody. And we'll see what happens, whether or not you see even more fiscal stimulus come down the line. But yes, when you're talking trillions of dollars, that is definitely the reflation trade that everyone's referring to, Bri. And as we know, so much of that 1400 check, if that's what happens, will go into the equity market, a lot being used to pay down credit card debt, according to surveys. Either way, market likes it. Market likes the news we got over the weekend. By the way, nearly 5 million vaccinated in just two days, Dom. Thank you very much. All you right. So as you've seen, folks, pretty much everything is higher today. You've got the stock market. 95% of the stocks are higher. All of an S&P 500 sectors are higher. The cryptos are higher, led by Ethereum. Oil, the oil boom this year continues. Energy stocks are the best-performing group yet again. They've been the best performer so far this year. The quote-unquote reopen trade in full effect. Joining us now is Quincy Crosby, chief market strategist at Prudential Financial, and Jethro Townsend, founder and chief investment officer at Addend Capital Management. Uh, Quincy, I'll start with you. We all know things are going to look a lot better in the spring and the summer based on the current path, unless something just absolutely, you know, that we cannot see come certainly ends up happening. I guess the only question now is, Have the valuations just gotten silly? Are we way overestimating this earnings pull forward from the idea that we're all going to be back on the road in the summer and hitting the airports? Well, you know, given what we've been through, given the circumstances that we've been through, you can't help but understand why the market is moving the way it's moving. I mean, with Johnson & Johnson coming on board, with the number of vaccinations that that are taking place, the market is looking ahead. And what's good about it, though, is that the market is broadening. So it includes industrials. You see CAT today. You saw that in, in that group. That's one of your infrastructure plays. You saw Boeing. Uh, you take a look at all of those sectors that, that are leading the market higher. It's, it's broadening. It's not just how we started, Brian, where it was Hormel Spam and Hershey Chocolates. And then on the other side, five big mega cups cap stocks. It's now doing a normal broadening, and that's what's healthy for the market. And so will the valuations climb higher? Most likely, but you can see the market. Once those uh, yields climb higher too, all of a sudden we see a pullback. And by the way, I'm looking at the euro dollar futures, and they're looking at the third quarter 2022 next year as potentially liftoff. You know, all the economists can argue back and forth. Let's see what the market says about what the Fed's framework is going to look like once we yeah. pull out of. Yeah, Jethro, it's, it's, it's good to have optimism. Certainly, I've been out there a little more optimistic on the rollout for a few months. Let's have fingers crossed that that's the way it goes. But have we, we gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves at all or are you all in? Uh, hi, thanks for having me on the show and thanks for your question. Uh, I think with regards to interest rates, I was on this, uh, at least the network back in early February, and I talked about how this spike in bond yields could certainly agitate the markets. And what we've seen is sort of textbook, right, where there's, there's this inverse correlation between higher vol- velocity increases in rates um, and this reflation trade that, that's starting to work. We, I still think that given where, late, where rates are in an absolute sense, um, if you look at it, you know, as I said before, relative to the earnings yield in the S&P, there's still about, you know, 290 basis points of delta in terms of, you know, the S&P yield versus the 10-year. Um, the question is going to be, you know, again, the, the velocity uh, of the rate moves. And as we know, the market kind of serves as a, as a discounting yeah. uh, mechanism with regards to, to interest rates. 
But, you know, again, as I said before, I mean, people compare this period to kind of the dot-com period in terms of like, you know, valuations, uh, which is sort of what we talked about. And we're certainly near those dot-com peaks in terms of absolute valuations. So that's something to, 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 you know, really take into consideration. But, but again, but yields yeah. uh, over like four and a half, five percent back in 2000 versus uh, one and a half to two percent where they are now. So there's still some 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 cushion. Yeah, a little there. little different, Jethro. Follow up on that. I want I want you to follow up a little different time back then as well. I remember breaking below five percent was like, oh my gosh, below five percent. Right. Now we'll probably never see five percent in our lifetime on the upside, even if we live another sixty years or whatever it might be. Let me ask you this: BNP Paribas had a note this morning saying that when interest rates rise, as they did last week, equities tend to have sharp corrections. They have that data going back to 1983. In your mind, was the equity move last week entirely caused by that sort of rate taper tantrum, if you will? Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly there was some some correlation there. And I think earlier there was some talk about, you know, what was happening in, in the bond pits in terms of, you know, the supply demand with regards to, to rates. I mean, certainly, again, that, that high velocity, sharp sort of violent move in rates is not a good thing for equity markets. And so we saw uh, some of the valuations like start start to come down. And certainly historically, you know, I, you know, I understand what you're saying in that report. Uh, but there's also been periods where we've had rising rates and improving economy and higher in a higher stock market, you know, all occurring at, at the same time. Uh, if I look back historically, yeah. that happened in the 07 to 09 period. Um, but yeah. it's something that, again, we, we have to monitor kind of what the Fed is doing uh, and to the extent that the Fed might change policy. Uh, that, that could be a, a concern for the markets. Yeah, Quincy, running out of time here quickly. Where are you seeing opportunities right now? Where can our viewers still find some decent value or good value? You know, I think the financials, uh, they're going to do well as the um, economy picks up. The regionals are going to do well. I think before long, you're going to start hearing more and more about infrastructure. I think Biden wants to get his agenda through as quickly as possible. And that is going to get the industrials up, the equipment, uh, the equipment, the materials, the industrials across the board and the small and mid cap that have done incredibly well. Sure, they need to pull back, but they will be beneficiaries. But so will the regional banks. And that's the KRE. And also, as you point out, you had Boeing out there. I like love, L-U-V, L-O-V-E-2. Americans want to travel. There's no doubt about it. Business travel is going to be slower to get going. But uh, leisure travel is moving already. It is going to continue. And I would take the love and I'd move with it. And and these are all good points. And by the way, Quincy and Jethro, thank you very much. As somebody who's been to or through 15 states in the last six or seven months, hard to imagine, but I don't know, maybe 40% of states never even closed. We always say reopen, but if you go to Florida, South Carolina, Texas, they're just running full steam pretty much as is with everybody in a mask. And you wonder how much of that is just going to add to the economy. So, uh, you know, different side of the story there that we don't talk about much. Jethro and Quincy, thank you both very much. All right. Well, ahead of today's rally, Warren Buffett said, you're welcome, to avoid bonds in his annual Berkshire shareholder letter. For what that means for your money, head to CNBC.com slash pro. Well, certainly one big reason stocks and a lot of other things are going up today is that vaccinations are surging and cases and hospitalizations, thankfully, are collapsing. It's not just here. It's globally as well, even in countries where they don't have the vaccine rollout as well. Either way, Here's your latest vaccine tracker, and this was the biggest weekend yet, with the CDC and Bloomberg calculating nearly 5 million shots being done over just Saturday and Sunday. The CDC says 
50 million Americans have received at least one dose. Another 25 million are now fully inoculated. And here's the key number. Nearly 20% of American adults have gotten at least one shot. And at current trends, the CDC projects new cases in the United States could fall below 25,000 in just a couple of weeks. Fingers crossed. Let's hope. And all of that is not even counting the big new J&J vaccine that just got approved. Many are calling that a one-shot game changer. Always the game changer is Meg Terrell. And she spoke with the company CEO earlier today and joins us now with what was a huge interview, not just for, for American business, but for America and the world, Meg. <laughs> well, thanks, Brian. Johnson & Johnson is going to be shipping uh, almost 4 million doses of its newly authorized COVID-19 vaccine to the U.S. this week. Now, that is the third vaccine, of course, to enter the U.S. market after Pfizer and Moderna, and it has some different characteristics. It's just one dose. It can be stored in the fridge for three months. It showed in trials 72 percent efficacy with that one shot against disease in general and 85 percent worldwide against severe disease. Now, there's an ongoing meeting of advisors to the CDC right now, where they're talking about where this vaccine might fit in with the other two. Some considerations they're making because it's one shot and fridge stable. You could use it in mobile or pop-up clinics, newly established vaccine administration sites, and sites that don't have freezer capacity. Now, for whom would a vaccine like this make sense? Well, people for whom it might be difficult to come back for a second dose, uh, people who want to be fully vaccinated quickly, uh, or mobile or homebound populations. Again, that one shot really applies there. As you mentioned, we talked with Alex Gorski, the CEO of Johnson & Johnson this morning, about how this vaccine compares with the Pfizer and Moderna ones. Here's what he said. Our data actually uh, includes these most challenging, pernicious, virulent strains. And what we saw was an 85% effectiveness rate in the severe disease. And really importantly, when you think of, you know, what do you want from a vaccine? You don't want to go to the hospital and you certainly don't want to die. And what we have seen thus far is 100% efficacy at those parameters, again, with a single shot. And the message you're hearing from public health officials today is take whichever vaccine you can get as soon as you can get it. Now, Brian, interestingly, just want to point out the CDC is also discussing the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines today. It's advisors debating these two hot button issues. One, for the mRNA vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer, should we space out the doses to give more first doses to more people? Or, uh, and should we only give one shot to people who've had prior infection because there might be enough protection from the existing immunity and the vaccine? Neither one seems to be a go for the committee, but they're still discussing it, Brian. That would be a way to get more vaccines available sooner. Back over to you. Is it, Meg, and I'm going to ask you to project here just a little bit. We don't know the answer, obviously, so it's just a guesstimate. But J&J, great work for them, by the way. All the numbers we've seen from Pfizer and Moderna we could have 400 million doses available by June or July, which is more than there are Americans, especially with many 75 million already getting a shot. Let's just be honest. 30 percent of the country has said they will not take it. Is it possible we're going to have more supply than demand in certain areas kind of soon? I know it sounds ridiculous. If the companies meet their targets, we're going to have 700 million doses from just the three authorized vaccines by the end of July. 600 million from Pfizer and Moderna, enough for 300 million people, plus 100 million from J&J by the end of June. That's more Americans 
than exist. And so you know, Dr. Scott Gottlieb was on Squawk Box this morning saying, we've got to think about where to give our excess vaccine doses. And he's advocating for Mexico. They're our neighbors. Uh, we need to protect them. And there are considerations for us as well. And so absolutely, uh, there will be more vaccine than people to take it in the U.S. Yeah. at some point this year. Yeah, or maybe Canada, too, because their rollout has been one-sixth or one-seventh of ours because they spaced out the purchases, apparently. I know a lot of Canadian friends up there. Uh, they are very, very frustrated. Meg Terrell, amazing stuff. Meg, thank you very much. Thanks. All right, so with Johnson & Johnson, FedEx, and UPS now shipping about a third vaccine. But logistics are very different for this one than they were with Pfizer and Moderna. Frank Collin is here with that side of the story. Frank. Hey there, Brian. You know, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, it needs half as many shipments because, as Meg mentioned, it's only a one-dose vaccine. But time is very critical. UPS says the packaging, keeping these vaccines viable, it expires in about 96 hours. I think for us, the main issue is time and transit because the, the thermal shipper, which has this material in it, is only validated for a certain number of hours. So we have to be very careful that the time and transit matches the time of the validation package. Manufacturing begins in Maryland with Emergent Biosolutions, creating a drug substance that's frozen at 60 below zero Celsius and transported to Catalan in Indiana and Grand River Aseptic Manufacturing in Michigan. There it's thawed, diluted, placed in vials. That final vaccine is taken to Johnson Johnson warehouses for storage. McKesson, the government's distribution partner, takes vaccine to facilities to create kits, pairing vaccines and syringes and PPE. So after that, UPS and FedEx, they pick up those kits and take them to facilities for last mile delivery. Both shipped about 10 million doses last week. J&J will increase that. Uh, excuse me, the J&J vaccine rollout will increase by about 40 percent and FedEx expects more rural delivery. We're going to those remote locations each and every day already. So it's an additional shipment going into a remote location and adds no a level of complexity that we're not prepared for. And vaccines, they continue to be profitable, Brian. Last quarter, emergence saw revenues increased by 15 percent. Catalan and McKesson, they both raised the top and the bottom range of their guidance all due to vaccines. Back over to you. Very important story, Frank. And a shout out to everybody, UPS, FedEx, the post office, the distributors, for getting this out there. It's a huge story. Frank, thank you very much, buddy. All right, coming up, do you want to buy a home or refi your current mortgage? Here's a little bad news. The time may have passed or maybe not. We'll tell you why coming up. Plus, look at the home builders with Diana. Can you live on Bitcoin alone? Seema Modi tried it. She's here to tell you exactly how it went. And get this, speaking of reopening, Apple, all 270, 270 of its stores in America are open at the same time for the first time since the lockdowns began last year. You talk about reopen, Apple already is. Dow's up 550, NASDAQ up 2.5%. We're back after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. 
What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. And welcome back to The Exchange, everybody, with the Dow, NASDAQ, and all the stocks. Pretty much all the stocks are soaring, and home builder stocks, they're in that group as well. They're moving higher this afternoon. It's been a bit of a rocky ride for the group over the last few weeks as rates have kind of moved around. Diana Olick joining us now from Washington to explain why and what it might mean for the spring housing market. I wonder, Diana, is there a spring housing market, or has it just been one constant spring selling season? (laughs) It certainly feels like that, Brian. Look, we hope there's a spring market, but the home builders are moving higher with the broader markets today, but it's mostly because of a slight pullback in the 10-year Treasury after the recent spike. Now, the 30-year fixed mortgage rate loosely follows that yield. So take a look back to where rates last bottomed on February 10th, with the 30-year fixed at 2.8%, according to Mortgage News Daily. It then shot up, landing at 3.27% last Friday. Today, it did drop back a bit to 3.22%. But if you're talking about taking out a $300,000 mortgage, it's a difference of about 75 bucks a month on your monthly payment or nearly $1,000 a year. And that is largely why you saw stocks of the big names like Lennar, D.R. Horton and Pulte all come down pretty dramatically off their recent highs following those rates. Now, remember, home prices are already incredibly hot and new construction comes at a price premium. The median price of a newly built home was 5 percent higher in January year over year, according to the census. So buyers are already getting pinched and higher rates only make those prices harder to afford. Brian. I love the chopper, too, because, Diana, it's like that's the helicopter money raining down from the Fed right as you're talking about interest rates. It was (laughs) cue the helicopter over Diana's head and the leaf blower. Diana, thank you very much. Diana, like, appreciate it. It's how live TV goes, folks. Whenever there's a loud noise to happen, it'll happen in the 30 seconds you're on TV. All right, on deck. We call it the GOAT trade. Get out and travel. Airlines, cruises, casinos, all surging as the market bets the pandemic finish line may not be too far off. And even as oil booms lately, so do some of the electric car makers as well. Look at shares of a little company called Tesla, about Neo, Nikola, Li Auto as well. Dow up 575, NASDAQ up 2.5%. We're back right after this.
Well, new month, same market, and it continues to move higher. In fact, this is the best day of the year. We know March has about 600 days in it, at least it did last week. Well, today, March 1st, at least a solid day on the equity market side as well. Treasury yields taking a breather. J&J's COVID vaccine set to hit the market. At one point, the Dow was up 700. Not there yet, not there again, but up just under 2%. The NASDAQ technology growth, that is growing. NASDAQ up 2.5%, and 95% of the S&P 500 is actually higher right now. All 11 sectors are in the green. You got energy, utilities, industrials. They are leading the way. A wide range of industries leading the index gains in the Dow. You've got Boeing. It's soaring. Dow, DuPont, Apple. We just told you all of its stores in America are now reopened, as well as Nike and the S&P. Trust me, a lot of people scared about NRG, the energy company. Their earnings today soothing a lot of nerves out there. That stock is soaring up 14%. You got Etsy and Discovery. As we told you, TV is the new TV. Discovery is, I think, the best S&P 500 stock this year one of them. In the NASDAQ 100, you got Zoom going up, Cintas, the uniform maker, maybe thoughts there of going back to work, Tesla, and Splunk. Investors are going shopping as well in retail. XRT ETF, it's jumping. Wayfair, Foot Locker, Nordstrom, all leading as well. And after a rough week, the semi-sector, like so many others, roaring back. Intel, Oracle, Western Digital, Lamb Research, they're all up 3 or more than 4%. Wow. Pretty much everything's up. Now, let's get a CNBC News update with Rahel Solomon. Rahel. Hi, Brian. Here's what's happening at this hour. The Biden administration is expected to allow migrant families separated by the Trump administration the option to reunite in the U.S. or in their country of origin. According to NBC News, the announcement is expected to come sometime today. Roughly 1,000 people gathered outside a Hong Kong court to protest the hearing of 47 pro-democracy activists. The activists were arrested as part of China's attempt to tighten its grip on the city. The line entered the court stretched around the block and included several foreign diplomats. U.S. auto safety regulators are investigating nearly 2 million Toyota RAV4 vehicles over potential fire concerns. The problem seems to be associated with a 12-volt battery. The RAV4 is Toyota's best-selling model. The company says that it's cooperating with the investigation. And in New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo says that he's sorry that women misinterpreted his behavior. That's after two former female employees accused him of sexual harassment. Cuomo has agreed to hand over control of the harassment investigation to the state's attorney general. And for more on the investigation, be sure to tune into the news with Shepard Smith tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. Brian, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, thank you very much. All right, coming up, you got some bullish commentary from Citigroup, Dan Loeb's sudden new interest, and a flight back into risk assets. All of that has the cryptos and Bitcoin surging. It's up 3,800, nearly 9%. Coming up, we'll speak with the largest Bitcoin ATM operator in the world about consumer demand. And energy continues to be the story of the year. The sector leading once again up 30% this year. Oil and gas booming as oil prices rise. We'll look at where the opportunities may or may not be. A big head fake or real opportunity? We'll find out with Dan Pickering next. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. 
Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS. Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back to The Exchange and happy Monday. Dow up 630, but it's not just stocks. Bitcoin and the crypto soaring as well. This is Citigroup says the crypto could become, Bitcoin anyway, the currency of choice one day. But is it really a currency? I mean, most currencies don't move like this. And you can actually pay for stuff with it, we know. But why would you want to? Well, Seema Modi tried. In fact, she tried to live on it for a week. Here's how it went. Four years ago, I tried to live off Bitcoin. You said Bitcoin? No. And failed. It was too hard to find anyone who accepted it. And it was expensive. To get a Metro card, I had to meet a guy at Penn Station, pay him $20 worth of Bitcoin. Today, that $20 would be worth $370. The $10 salad at a French restaurant, now valued at $185. But with the digital coin attracting mainstream attention and Tesla starting to accept it as a payment method, I decided to put the cryptocurrency to the test again. In 2017, I couldn't buy coffee directly with Bitcoin, but in 2021, it's possible. Starbucks recently rolled out a limited program that allows customers to reload Starbucks cards using backed cash, a platform that can store Bitcoin. That's the biggest change. Third-party apps that make it easier to spend Bitcoin. Nordstrom, GameStop, and Lowe's now accept it through a payment system called Flexa. Shoppers can scan a QR code and pay the retailer directly using the cryptocurrency. According to Flexa, 61% of transactions on the platform are for coffee, tea, and other quick service items. Added bonus, no user fees. What hasn't changed in four years? The workarounds. Gift cards that allow access to a wider range of retailers, but they come with costly transaction fees. Overall, the people we spoke to don't view Bitcoin as a way to transact, but a longer-term investment. What do you plan to do with your Bitcoin and digital currency investment? Do you just hold it, or do you long plan term. to use it to long transact, term. buy coffee? Long-term, yeah. For now, long-term. And the wild price swings. Yet another reason why Bitcoin holders told us they do not view it as a currency. That could change if the payments industry and companies like PayPal make it easier to transact online with its network of merchants. Brian? All right. I got a lot of questions. We don't have a lot of time. I mean, could we do this with Ethereum, with Dogecoin? Like, I mean, how many can we truly do you think at some point accept as some kind of asset swap, because I won't call it a currency. So, so far of the third-party suppliers that allow users to use cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin seems to be top of the list. Some accept Ethereum, but it really is Bitcoin that you're starting to see the industry try to adopt in different yeah. ways. And again, it's really PayPal to see if they not only allow users to buy and transact, buy and sell Bitcoin, but if they also allow users to use that Bitcoin to then buy stuff with their merchants. That will be key for this industry. Fascinating piece. You're going to do it again in the you three years from now, too, time, Seema, right? Then we'll re- next time, Brian, you and I, we'll take I, to the streets of New York. We'll go buy coffee and eat French food. It'll be so much fun. It's, I, we'll do it. There's going to be no mass. We're just going to be, you know, go have a drink. It's going to be fantastic. I certainly cannot wait. We'll do it with telepathy at that point, Seema Modi. Look forward to there it. There we go. 
All right. So wider acceptance of Bitcoin, and Seema's been ahead of the curve on this, has given way to the rise of Bitcoin ATMs across the country. And CoinFlip has the largest network of Bitcoin ATMs in the world by volume, adding more than 1,000 in the past year as demand began to surge. For more, we're joined by Daniel Polotsky. He is the founder and CEO of CoinFlip. Okay. And Daniel, thanks for joining us. For our audience that is not initiated in the way the cryptos work and their breakdown, uh, and and maybe some anchors as well. Talk to us about how you break down a Bitcoin. They're at $48,000. It's not like you walk up and go, hey, can I have change for a $48,000 bill? I believe there are eight different levels inside the Bitcoin, i.e. basically the quarters and nickels and dimes of Bitcoin. How does it work? Yeah, so you can, um, thank you for having me on the show, by the way, but you can split up Bitcoin up to eight decimal places and the smallest unit of Bitcoin is kind of called like a Satoshi. And then if you had to keep splitting it up, like if there was so much demand and the price got so high for like one full Bitcoin, I'm sure you could just edit the code so that it could be split up even further. So it's even more divisible than like a dollar or definitely more than a bar of gold, you know? Yeah, so if I wanted to go to one of the coin flip ATMs, I could both buy Bitcoin and sell Bitcoin. How exactly would the transaction work? So when, most of our ATMs are buy only because most people want to buy Bitcoin, but we are putting out more two-way ATMs that can both buy and sell. And it's just a super, super easy transaction. You know, you walk up to the screen, enter your phone number, receive a code scan your QR code, which is just basically that code on your phone. You, we have a camera right at the ATM where you can scan it, insert the cash, and then get Bitcoin before you even get back to your car. And to top it off, we have 24-7 customer service on the phone. So if you ever need help, uh, we got you. Let me ask you a stupid question, Daniel. Why do I need the phone? Is it because that because that's the wallet effectively? I, you have to, I'm, you know, from a privacy perspective, explain the role of the phone and the QR code which is not something most people are used to in a, quote, normal ATM transaction. Right. It's kind of like more like a Bitcoin vending machine, I would say. It's like, you know, it's a better way to view it. I mean, they're called Bitcoin ATMs, but basically the QR code is kind of, yeah, it's connected to your wallet. It's like your public key. It's like how people can send you money. And if you want, you don't have to necessarily use a phone. Like there are paper wallets and paper QR codes that are connected to other wallets, just typically the easiest way to do it is with a phone, which is what our consumers typically do. Yeah, we showed the map of the locations, adding more than 1,000 as well. I know there's one near me. I might go check it out. Daniel Polotsky, the CEO of Coin, CoinFlip. We appreciate you coming on and explaining it in layman's terms, Daniel. Have a great day. Take care. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Take it easy. Oh, you're welcome. All right, still ahead. Oil stocks, how's that for a transition? Cryptos to crude leading the charge today, and they have been for the last few weeks. Well, last year's big laggard. Fossils are done. They're fossils are dinosaurs. Well, guess what? They haven't been. And your next guest says the rally may just boom from here. We'll find out why. Next, NASDAQ up 2.5%. We're back after this. All right, welcome back. Well, energy stocks continue to climb despite a slight pullback in crude oil today. Crude is actually down about 2%, although it is above 60. The oil and gas ETF XOP up another 2% today, posting its fourth straight positive month with a 25% gain in February and some big gains for the big names too. ExxonMobil up 21%, Jeffrey Ubbin 
Value Act shakes things up. He's joining the board. Halliburton's up. 32% jump in February for Occidental. By the way, speaking to Vicki Hollib on Thursday as well. So here's the question. Are the opportunities in oil and gas already passed us by? For more, let's bring in Dan Pickering of Pickering Energy Partners. Dan, good to have you back on. I was actually just in your state and, of course, talking about the, the, the massive, colossal failure of the energy grid. And one of the sort of the takeaways from that was as the biggest power producer in the United States and consumer, Texas is going to need a lot more of everything to make sure that hap- doesn't happen again, whether it's wind turbines or solar. But that might include nat gas as well, maybe even, dare I say, nuclear what are going to be the knock-on effects of what happened the last two weeks? Yeah, Brian, good to be with you. I think that um, you're right. The, the knock-on effects are going to be the realization we need all of the above here in Texas and, and in the U.S. Uh, as it relates to, to sources of energy. It can't just be renewables. It's got to be uh, everything. So you said nuclear, oil, natural gas, wind power, solar power. We need, we need it all. It'll be weatherized, it'll be better, but it can't just be one or the other. It's got to be all. Well, yeah, because what we've learned is that when something goes down, something else must pick up the slack. And sadly, like everything else these days, the debate, which could have been intelligent, whatever, just became renewables, fossils, screaming, everybody screaming at each other before we even knew exactly what happened. Well, listen, we all want to drive electric cars, have smartphones with huge data centers and live in warm climates and crank the AC nine months a year. The bottom line is if we want to do that and live in cities, by the way, that are built on concrete and use a lot of energy, we're going to need a lot of everything. Are we not? I, I, I completely agree. I, I felt like saying right on, brother, as you were as you were talking through that. Um, the world consumes 100 million barrels a day of oil. Uh, we are not going to wean ourselves off of that quickly, but we're going to try. And so that means we need a lot of wind. We need a lot of solar. We need a lot of everything if we want to keep consuming the way we consume. So I think we've got to get away from being in one camp or the other and figure out how, how we do it in a way that's environmentally friendly, but also economic. We've got to get out of this, this mode of yeah. potentially creating energy poverty for others. It, yeah, and that's we got to remember there's a whole world out there that may not be able to afford a Tesla right now or any car for that matter, and they'd be happy to have one. Very quickly, are, are oil and gas stocks, I mean, some of them are heavily shorted. They've a lot of short covering, Dan. They've gone up 70 or 80% in six months. Is there any opportunity left? I think there is. We're, we might be a little ahead of ourselves, a little. You know, we've got an OPEC meeting coming up. Oil's run to 60. Um, we might see it come back into the 50s, and if it does, the stocks could come back some, but but these are going to be doubles, Brian. I mean, oil is going to be 60 or 70 bucks over the next two, three, four years. And, and as that happens, these companies, earnings are going up, cash flows are going up, values are going up. So there's still lots of room left here. Yeah. Dan Pickering, Pickering Energy Partners. Dan, next time I am in Texas, we will certainly get together as well. Dan, appreciate it, buddy. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. And as I mentioned, by the way, this Thursday, we're going to be speaking with Occidental Petroleum CEO Vicky Hollow about how the legacy company is trying to innovate, delivering the first carbon neutral barrel of oil as well, plus a must-see conversation with the former Secretary of State and U.S. Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, John Kerry. It's all part of our Evolve live stream, 3 p.m. Eastern. It's not a TV event. It's the Evolve live stream. 
You, everyone out there, register at cnbcevents.com slash evolve live stream. There's your website. I, uh, it's free, but you can pay in Bitcoin if you want. All right. Now to a very important story that kind of follows up on Texas that is getting almost no attention anywhere else and really is a follow-up to the energy grid and weather problems of the last couple of weeks. Tens of thousands of people in and around Jackson, Mississippi, are going on now their third week without water. That's right, no water for more than two weeks. So let's call some attention to this. Mississippi State Representative Ronnie Crudup Jr. He also owns a daycare center in Jackson, which had to close. We spoke by phone yesterday, sir. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us. When we talked, I couldn't believe it because some people had pinged me on Twitter. They saw me in Texas and I wanted to reach out. Is it true that there are still tens of thousands of people that are trying to flush their toilets with whatever might be left of melted snow? That is absolutely true. Uh, we still don't have water. Uh, I had a little bit of water that came to my house on yesterday, but today it went back down, the trickle. You know, thank God for the city providing some water trucks to be able to get flushable, um, you know, water. But, you know, it rained today, so we're dependent on rainwater and things of that nature to try to get some water at this current moment. So I want to be clear. We were just in Texas. We're talking about the power, power grid. You had power but it was the weather that caused the problem. I think Texas probably stole the attention, which is why, thank you, sir, for coming on. Has there been any indication of when the water is going to return? You can't bathe, you can't cook, restaurants are closed, hotels are sold out. What's happening in Jackson on the ground right now? So right now it's kind of a, you know, every man for himself. Um, you know, the city has stepped in. We've had the, uh, the state government has stepped in. FEMA is helping out. But at this current moment, people are trying to provide water bottles. Uh, you know, like I said, tanker trucks are coming in full of water to try to provide flushable water and water to be able to hopefully uh, wash your dishes with. But people are kind of, you know, trying to find ways to eat, you know, in survive mode at this current moment. Uh, but, you know, we're doing the best we can on the ground. A lot of folks are really stepping up to the punch, you know, the churches, city council folks, uh, businesses. Everybody's doing their part to make sure that people survive and have what they need. But And I want, I want to lay this out for our audience, okay? Jackson, you know, it, not big on a national scale, but one of the biggest cities in Mississippi. You can't cook without water for the most part. You, so you try to go out to eat, but a lot of the restaurants are closed because they also may not have water or they've got multi-hour waits. You want to go to a hotel, but the hotels are all booked up or maybe you can't afford it because getting a hotel for two weeks is expensive. Yeah, It's that's a dire situation, Representative. Has there been any indication of when this might get resolved? Well, from what we heard from the mayor and the city engineer on yesterday, it may be, you know, toward the end of the week before it gets resolved. Uh, the problem is the date kind of keeps changing and no disregard to them. But, you know, this thing has totally just shut us down. Uh, we've had water outages before, boil water notices, but nothing of this magnitude. And so, like I said, we're trying to, you know, find ways to get, uh, best we can to uh, make things happen. Yeah. You know, the local YMCA's have stepped up, offer people to come take showers, neighbors are helping neighbors to help folks take baths. Uh, my family and myself, uh, I sent them to a friend's house in Brandon today because my kids are still in school virtually, uh, but my family needed showers. So, like I said, people are really stepping yeah. up to the point punch and making things happen. Well, I, listen, I appreciate you coming on. Tough situation, Representative Ronnie Crudup Jr., uh, thank you, sir. Keep us informed of how it's going, by the way. 
And by the way, folks, a lot of companies out there with access to huge amounts of water, right? Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Nestle, I'm not calling anybody out. I'm just saying if you're out there and you've got a lot of excess supply, get in touch with Ronnie Crudup. Hit me up through Twitter as well. We can try to arrange it. Get the bottled water there. By the way, the local beverage distributor didn't even know. They sent their water to Texas. Can you believe that? Anyway, we'll keep the conversation going on Twitter at SullyCNBC as well. Our thanks there. All right. The GOAT trade out of the pen. Our index get out and travel, tongue-in-cheek, soaring as vaccinations pop, hotels, cruise airlines, all bouncing big time as a consumer rush to travel could happen again very soon. In fact, Royal Caribbean telling CNBC, I think this morning, that bookings this year are up 30% already. They expect a boom and everybody getting back on the boats. Tim Seymour is here to talk about it next. All right, well, the so-called GOAT trade is acting like a GOAT lately. The get-out-and-travel index booming not just today, but the last few weeks and months as well. Investors betting on a return to normal sooner than later and a consumer-led boom in travel. The average return of a GOAT stock, 26% this year. And look at some of these airlines this year. Spirit, Hawaiian, SkyWest, American, up 30 40 or 50% as well. Let's bring in our friend Tim Seymour, Chief Investment Officer for Seymour Asset Management, CNBC Fast money trader. Tim, it's great to see you again, buddy. Hey, Brian. Uh, I guess from a valuation, I was trying to look at valuations on these and then I realized that was dumb because you can't do a PE if there's no E. (laughs) They don't, they have massive losses. How do you look at this group? Well, I think with the airlines, first of all, you have to understand which balance sheets are the most impaired. And going into COVID, it, it certainly was American. Uh, and, and then you move from there with the with the big three. And, and Delta's got the best balance sheet. So when I think about uh, coming out of this, I think about the dynamics on business travel still impaired, uh, where leisure travel will be 85 percent of, of revenue versus, you know, 75 ish. Uh, before COVID and that the fares are going to be lower and that we're going to get to 2019 revenues by 2023-24 with a 51% higher debt load. So remember, uh, look at these companies on an EV-EBITDA basis, not necessarily on a PE basis. And I think Delta ends up the best of the bunch. But remember, again, at, at the current uh, price level, Delta's probably trading at uh, almost you know 95% of 2019 normalized earnings. And I'm not sure that's exactly where you want to be. I'm long Delta and, and I'd much rather be in Delta over the rest of the big carriers. Yeah, I heard Kevin O'Leary on, on, on halftime. I think he suggests, I don't want to misquote him. He can speak for himself, but he basically implied a couple of airlines might go out of business still. I mean, ba- that there's possibilities, of, even as the stocks are going up, that bankruptcy could be a real possibility for some of these carriers. Look, there's there's no question, and and you know whether who's going to be allowed to fail, et cetera. We've seen this industry continue to uh, to kind of go through periods where it it, it has you know collapsed under it, the, the weight of too much expansion and balance sheets. That even in the unexpected dynamic of COVID, uh, there's been a lot of criticism of how airlines handled their their balance sheets going into that. Other parts of this go yeah. trade, though, and again, make no mistake, the, the, the travel dynamic coming out of the summer, I think, into the fall and obviously into next year is, is going to be a boom. And, and I think the, the pent up demand is going to far exceed even the expectations, to be honest with you. Um, I think some of the ways that I'd like to play it, uh, if you look at the uh, you know, Hilton Grand Vacations, for example, which is more uh, really timeshare, uh, and that's a total leisure business. In other words, there's no exposure to business travel there. Yeah. Uh, it's an industry that, that was trading 40% cheap to the S&P coming into this. It's about in the same place now. 
Hilton Grand. There you go. Maybe people want to be spaced out. Tim Seymour, great stuff as always, buddy. Good to see you. We'll see you uh, on uh, Fast Money as well, Tim. Thank you very much. And that does it for us here on The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.